Clinical Disclaimer. This podcast is focused on education and entertainment. While we love to help and teach, it is not meant to be used as a replacement for clinical services. If you are experiencing significant relationship issues or major concerns in your sexual, physical, or mental health, please seek the services of a professional provider near you. Welcome to another episode of Sex Therapist Shoot the Shit, brought to you by the University of Pleasure. I'm Dr. Tara Jansen, licensed psychologist and certified sex therapist. And I'm Laura Rademacher, licensed marriage and family therapist and certified sex therapist. Hi, Laura. Hi, Tara. I am glad to be here with you tonight. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here with you. And guess what? We have a new guest. Yes, I'm excited about our guest. I'm super excited. I'm I'm hopeful that we will never run. How could we? There's got to be a billion <laughs> sex therapists in the world that we're, we're going to talk to. We're just going to keep rotating through them. I love it. And we are back. We should introduce our guests. All right, let's do it. Should I do it this Should time? I do like a drum? I feel like there's like a drum roll that needs to happen, or is that, that's not cool. I mean, Never we mind. are literally in a student, I know. a studio with 30 drums around us. My so head is next to a cymbal. At some point, <laughs> something will happen this episode. So many drums, and no one that knows how to play those. <laughs> so with us today, I'm so excited. I have an amazing colleague of mine, Dr. Alex Kopik who is a psychologist and a wonderful sexual health expert. And I will let him introduce more of his credentials so I don't get them wrong. Sure. So I'm Alex Kovic. I am a licensed psychologist and a sex therapist. I don't know what else there is. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I could go into my CV and all that, but that sounds boring. What are your favorite areas to work in? Uh, I really like sexual compulsivity has been one of my big areas and sex offending as well. Um, those are like the two really like core areas that I get a lot of work in and I enjoy a ton, but yeah, pretty broad array. And you do assessment too, like forensic um, assessment. I do, yeah. Like sex offender assessments, like not guilty by reason of insanity assessment stuff. I haven't done that stuff in a while, but. Yeah. You know, I think that when so many people um, hear that, they're going to be like, whoa, that's his favorite thing to do. You know, that's going to be unexpected for some people. But actually, everyone that I've talked to that has worked with people who have offended usually feel really passionately about their work and enjoy their work. Yeah, it's it's super fun, strangely to say, (laughs) and impactful work in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways. Yeah, I mean, I've also done work with folks and still do that have sexually offended. And, you know, when I it's kind of where I first started in my career was working with people who have sexually offended. And if you would have asked me at the beginning, like, was I intending on continuing to do that work? No, but yeah, but I loved it. And I had no interest doing that originally and then kind of fell into it. And it was super, super fun. I was not expecting that at all. Well, one, uh, speaking of which, one of the things that we like to do on here is like sort of have people on, on here. We've done like one episode with a guest. <laughs> so we, we do it we, every time. We do it every really time, great. which is like the one other time we had a guest because this is only our fourth episode. <laughs> um, but we're creating trends, right? Yeah. We're yeah, creating yeah, trends. Yeah. We like to, we've told our origin stories of how we became sex, like interested in doing sex therapy. 
and last time we had the wonderful Calvin Hauer yeah. on who told his story. And to whatever degree you're comfortable, what sure. got you interested in sex therapy? I mean, I originally was just doing mostly forensic work and I was working at a state hospital. Um, and I, I had done like some, like my master's thesis was on sex offender assessment, but I never had like any interest in doing like the therapy side of that. And I never really thought of like a broader like sex, sex therapy career. And actually working there and doing some of the assessments and then, um, talking with a lot of folks doing uh, work with the LGBT community, I kind of fell into doing that and in, in working at PHS because I was more like, all right, I'm going to go the Programming Human Sexuality or the Institute now. <laughs> um, at the University was, of Minnesota. Yeah, I, um, I originally was really going there to, to do more work with um, – queer and trans folks and really, really actually enjoyed doing the uh, sex therapy piece of it, which wasn't something I was against necessarily, but that was not like the driving force why I was going there originally. Yeah. It's been so, I don't know about for you as well, Laura, but it's been so interesting, like similar to you, like I think the things that I thought that I was going to like end up being really into, like there were just so many other things that end up catching my attention. And, oh, yeah. Absolutely. And some of the things that um, I thought, you know, okay, here's an area that I just don't think I ever want to work in have been some of the areas where I go, oh, okay, actually, <laughs> I'm really enjoying this work, or I think it's really important. You just don't know until yeah. you try some things. Well, I never thought, so I work with teens like 13 and up, and I never thought that I'd want to work with teenagers. And I actually really, really enjoy working with teenagers. Yeah. neither one of us speak up at all no you do right i work with teens i mean they're a mixed bag though you have those teens who are super fun to work with and you have those ones that are a slog to work with i'm like yes i can relate to you i know things about what you're talking about and they don't (laughs) And they're not, like, super into the process and being there. But when you get a teen who's really, like, there for themselves, it's actually super yeah. fun. Yeah, to that point, like, sometimes in working with adolescents, you might have people whose parents are more wanting <laughs> them to work with you. And so, you know, they're maybe not as invested. And sometimes you can find, I mean, like, that's a huge yeah, part of the work yeah. is finding things that are like, all right, what? what are you here to work on and like what you're, you know, what in this process is for you? Cause that usually makes it go much better, but sometimes you can't always make that happen. <laughs> Not always. Have you worked with teens, Laura? No. Uh, well, okay. That was a weird way to say no. <laughs> I have actually done some family work because yeah. as a marriage and family therapist, that's kind of part of, that was part of my training, but I haven't done it in a long time. And somehow my clients just kind of gravitate between like, 26 up to I've had people in their 70s and 80s you know I just I think I tend to skew older and I'm not exactly sure why um but yeah I don't think I don't think I'd be super good at working with teens um I think you would that's nice of you to say (laughs) I don't I don't know why you say it though I think you would you have a very calm presence and Y'all can't see Laura Rademacher right now. Some really dope-ass shoes. If we're just some real... My silver shoes would maybe go over uh, decently well. But you know what else is interesting is that um, 
having a kid right now, I, in some ways, I feel like I'm pretty good at working with parents because I kind of get parts of that and I get how it can be difficult. But there's some ways that working with kids who are about my kid's age might like intersect with my life in interesting way. I know Mm -hmm. people do it, but just for me, it's, it's maybe not the best fit. Mm -hmm. That could feel very uh, weird. I could imagine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, origin stories, the year that I had my child was the year that I was in my practicum and I ended up doing some work with child protection because that was just part of the thing that my place did and that was a weird thing to happen to your brain as you <laughs> give birth to a baby and then have a very small child to be like, okay, and now here's the other work I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. Well, and for the listener, practicum is like a, an internship, essentially, that you got to go through before you can graduate and then do even more training before they let you get licensed. It's never right. You <laughs> never you know. Always more training, which is good. It is good. And also... Difficult. It's never done. You're never, it's never done. No. And you're never done paying for it. That's no. <laughs> the payments never end. It's true. It's true. Um, well, I do actually, which never happens, but I, in the three episodes we've done, it has not happened yet. Usually Laura <laughs> comes in with the topics, but I brought a topic. Thank God, thank goodness, because I had nothing today. <laughs> so this was really good. So um, the topic that I have is robot sex brothels. All right. That's an awesome topic. We're just going to let it land. Robot (laughs) sex brothels. So they've actually been around, I guess. Like, I'm not an expert on this, and I saw it in passing, all right? So, (laughs) you know, there's just only so much time in the day to read things online. But it is, like, it was pre, um, like, pre-COVID, and I think is coming back now, like, specifically in certain parts of Asia, and I believe China, is sort of where maybe in you know, again, somebody's going to be like, that's not exactly how they began. But my understanding of the very brief thing that I read was that um, they're in order to solve some of the struggles with like discrepancies and right, like, you know, probably more measuring like cisgender men and cisgender women, gender discrepancies in China, like creating more sexual outlets for people because there's way more, right, like, like men to women. Oh, I see. Right. Right? And so they created these brothels that are like with high, high quality, either sex. I say high, high quality, and I don't know how they're measuring quality. I'm going to be really honest with you. (laughs) Um, High quality, uh, per the uh, advertisements. Um, uh, Sex dolls or sex robots, right? So like you pay and then it was interesting in the article I was reading about like the advertisements around is like you pay and then they you get like a certain amount of time right in the room or in the scenario or whatever it is and like then they like use it was like very sterile cleaning measures right yeah clean up the doll or the robot for the next person and apparently there's some of these also in like other places in the world including um toronto and they were trying to open one in houston but i don't know that that actually happened and a number of them got shut down in covid but are like kind of starting to open back up again man covid really took out everything yeah even the sex robot brothels really (laughs) suffered we didn't know i don't know but i found it fascinating i think that there's like i think about like the the like growing AI like 
have the, to either of you like followed much about like the AI around sex robots and like just like looked at some of the tech that's coming out that's pretty astounding. Really. Not much, actually. I mean, I haven't like done like full scale research on it, but I spent we did an episode for the University of Pleasure about yeah. like the sex tech involved. But just for relevance of this conversation, I mean, they're like developing sex robots that like have the capacity to like learn your likes and dislikes to self lubricate. Wow. Um, to like do all sorts of really fascinating things that, you know, well, for now, I think are quite expensive. Like some of them are starting sure. at around like $10,000, but some of them upwards of many, many more tens oh, of thousands sure. of dollars. Yeah, yeah. But the AI is like there in certain ways, which is like just a really like sort of from like an ethics perspective, just a really interesting issue. But I'm, I'm just curious, just the concept of sex doll or sex robot brothels, what you two think about it. Well, it's fascinating, you know, wrapping my brain around it. When you were talking about you pay for a certain amount of time, my first thought was, is there a giant countdown clock on the wall? <laughs> or like, do you get a five-minute warning? Like, yeah. how do you, you know, because I've got to imagine they're trying to create an experience that is positive for their customers so that people will come back. Mm -hmm. So how do they handle some of these kind of interpersonal moments in what I'm assuming most people want to be a very, like, private Sure. Uh, situation, you mm -hmm. know? Um, but I think our first, I, I, I think so often our first reaction is to go, oh my gosh, what, you know, the, the technology around sex and let's be scared about it. And I don't know, like, it doesn't seem like anybody would really mm -hmm. like be hurt or victimized or anything. And like, maybe there's some really positive things that could come out of this. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's my first thought. Alex, yeah. what do you think? I mean, my first thought is like, are we talking Uncanny Valley sorts of robots? Are we talking like a very mechanical looking thing? Like, what are we talking about They're, with a robot? Some of them are pretty <laughs> realistic looking. And when we talk about high quality, is that what we're talking about? Or are we talking about there are some good gears in there? Um, <laughs> I don't yeah, is it about the mechanics here? Or is it about the well, feel of the... And I don't know, like, so like real doll what is it called like real there's like all these different companies and they sell them for like varying you know varying degrees of uh increasing price tags but um some of them are just really pretty i mean well here it's there we can't show the people but right? they're on your phone right so like they're definitely more realistic than all the right. ones that you remember from like the 80s and 90s right <laughs> when you think of like a a sex, you know, a sex doll, right, wouldn't be one that has the AI, right, just for right. a listener, right? A right. sex robot would be one that has AI sort of included in it. Okay, But, okay. like, I've seen, like, this would not be one of the ones, this is one of the ones that was, like, in the article that I was reading, but okay. I know that there's, like, other models and stuff that look even more realistic. Obviously, the more money you, but, and I don't know what kind, that's, like, the industry of sex robots. I don't know what kind are being used sure. in, you know, are in they buying specific the, brothels, the right. $2,000 ones or are they buying the 10000 like, Who knows? <laughs> or do they have both and you have to pay for the, oh. whatever experience? Who Ooh. knows, right? That's a great yeah. business idea if they're not. There we go. Cheered. Somebody VIP can feel free to. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Do you order the wine basket with the chocolate <laughs> add-on for this? Yeah. I don't know. No, I've seen some of those dolls in person. There was one at... Um, I think it was this museum of sex in Las Vegas. And oh. I think it was at a conference where one of the companies came and they seem very 
lifelike. You know, it's like silicone skin. You can touch them and they feel... If you're imagining a blow-up doll that people use as jokes for parties... This is this very is different. Very, very different. Much more expensive. Um, and I think heavy. Like, yeah. Maybe they've improved that technology, but I did have the thought of like, you're lugging around... 100 pounds of silicone doll here like that's well the the one the art like i said i read one article that left led me to another art. i think i read about three articles right? <laughs> like, but they were just like you know like they were these were not peer-reviewed journal articles here like right, right? but like uh, a couple of the ones that i was reading about like they create sort of like different rooms with different ambiance right like where you know like one room is this like maybe more romantic you know, like heart-shaped bed, honeymoon type of yes, feel. Another, yes. like, let's say there's a certain kink that somebody might into that feels a little more kinky or sort of like, you know, I don't know, like bondage or something sure, specific. Sure. And then there was one that I saw a picture of where it was just the legs and a butt attached to a wall in a shower. <laughs> <laughs> so half of half a doll, not like, really like a glory hole, but you got stuck halfway through the shower yeah, and the like, wall. Hmm. I just have the image of Winnie the Pooh <laughs> 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 and the tree <laughs> Yeah, something like that. You know, everybody likes different stuff. It's true. <laughs> but I was just like, it was really interesting to me is like, but the thing is, it's like when they, I guess when they were like trying to, like anything around sex, like trying to build one of these uh-huh. somewhere was like people getting like really upset I think in Houston specifically Mm -hmm. like people being like and anywhere they've tried to put it certain groups of people being really upset about it one of the things I was thinking about is like well you know if one of the like concerns around like legalizing prostitution is like the idea that you're you know somehow um uh taking advantage of certain people or you know exploitation right these are dolls so is this is that the same argument like what Mm -hmm. right I don't know if I'm making sense. But. Right. No, I think you're making sense. And it, obviously we know not all sex workers feel that way. Right. Yeah. You know, but but if that's someone's concern or that's someone's argument, you think that's that this might be better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think it just sometimes makes people uncomfortable, the idea of somebody having sexual fun in the space that just... Just that idea. <laughs> just like... Yes. It makes people uncomfortable. It's like people are doing stuff that feels different than what I would do or maybe want to do and don't want to talk about doing. And then that upsets me. I think that's real. That's so real. I also think there's like, there's always this like mental argument about, well, if people are engaging in this, they're going to be like, things are going to devolve further and further and further. And it's going to be more like deprived or things like that. I think there's always this like fear of like when people access pleasure in whatever way that they're going to that it goes to a darker scary place and that's so many times that's what I hear those arguments being about if you really like drill down to it well and what's interesting is like oftentimes I mean they maybe for some folks it can lead to that but there's like a whole host of other folks that it can lead to being like oh that was like a a way to meet a need and it actually kept me from like making poor decisions around ways to meet that particular need. I had the thought when you were saying sex robots and getting to know people's likes and dislikes, I had the thought of, 
is there a future for like a therapeutic sex robot mm-hmm. that might help yeah. people with some social cues, help people with consent cues, you know, like that, that there would be a way that people could learn sexual skills and or maybe even interpersonal skills through a robot that's not going to have feelings about it afterwards or not, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, there's, there's a potential for positives there, I right. think. A ton. I don't know if either of you saw this going off on a tangent. Oh, That's well. literally what this whole podcast is. <laughs> so, so please do. There was an app. I'm, I'm sure it still exists. And it was like OMG something. OMG, yes. Yes. And it's it's similar to what you're talking about, where you, you get like some live in the moment feedback from the app about like stimulating the clitoris and things like that, where it could be super helpful if you had a robot that's giving you some responsive learning to that too. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the Kinsey Institute was part of OMGS. If I'm thinking I could be making, I think you're right. Yeah, they are. They were. Jen Benzel shared it in one of our meetings and I never looked deeper into it, but it looked like it was super useful. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that one of the, um, the like things when I was thinking about like the brothels, like, so like, I know that, like, just in, like, reading some stuff around, like, the ethical concerns around, like, sex robots, around, like, being in someone's home are, like, people maybe because you don't have to get consent from a robot, right? Like, and if you're somebody that maybe struggles more with, like, social cues or things, like, which is not is different than what you're talking about in a therapeutic mm-hmm. context. Mm-hmm. Also, which would maybe be similar to, like, a robot version of, version of almost, like, sexual surrogacy, right? Where someone's doing, yes. like, right. a type of therapy with something with the purpose of learning to build toward other skills. I know that one of the like ethical concerns like that some folks talk about around like the costs and benefits, because there are costs and benefits, right? Mm-hmm. Like and neutrals. <laughs> but um one of the potential costs being like if somebody is um somebody that struggles with like social cues or frankly consent issues that like that having just a, a robot in the home doesn't really help that person because you can do whatever the hell you want sure. to a sex doll sure. or a robot. But one of the things I was thinking about within a brothel context is like there is sort of a like it allows it to be a little bit like I went and did that and now I take my space from that. Sure. Like, I, do you know what I mean? Yep. Like sort yep. of like um, a boundaried sort of experience to a certain degree. Yeah, well, and every time I hear that kind of thought of you know okay maybe this is going to cause violent impulses in someone or something like that you weren't exactly saying that but that's a theme that we see Mm -hmm. through lots of different we were just kind of talking about porn too before the before we hit record and that's all sex therapists this is all sex therapists professional time we're just talking about porn (laughs) sex robots so anytime we hear that idea of like oh this is going to maybe cause violence or incite violence in people i always think well, part of what we're talking about here is, do people know the difference between fantasy and reality? You know, and um, if you don't, that's going to cause a lot of problems through a lot of aspects in life. Yeah, not just sex. Right, <laughs> right. And it's, and I mean, you know, we see that with lots of things. We see it with movies. We see mm-hmm. it with all kinds of media. If people don't understand the difference between fantasy and reality, that causes problems but if you know, okay, I have a fantasy that maybe I would want to use a sex doll for or a sex robot for, 
and I know it's a fantasy mm -hmm. and I know it would not be great to do in reality with someone else. That seems different. Mm -hmm. I mean, that seems like, I don't know. I don't know how we screen. I don't know that brothels are like screening for this <laughs> or something like that, but I'm just kind of like thinking this through on my feet that like, if, if there was going to be some kind of like screening process of like, who is this going to go well for and who might it not go well for? That seems like it's a crucial piece of it. Well, I think it's like any piece of like, you know, and Alex, I'll be interested because you do a lot of work with like sexual compulsivity and things like that, right? Like there's a lot of sort of like this idea yeah. of like this myth of like this like specific version of sexual health that like exists and like you know they're like it's just so individualized in terms of like what's healthy mm -hmm. for person a might not be very healthy for person b and like i can think of lots of folks that i know that could like something like a sex bravo could really be like or a sex uh, well maybe that too <laughs> but like a, a, sex, a sex robot bravo could like really be like oh okay like, especially in a mindful way around like, oh, here's some as a place for you to get certain needs met or like practice some particular set of skills, right? Mm -hmm. Where that could be, frankly, something incredibly useful. And then I can think of some other folks that I've worked with that like, given the struggles that they've had, it might be a totally different experience in which it might be problematic in some kind of way because of the specific struggles that they've had around sure. like maybe managing sexual behavior in certain ways or at least like it wouldn't be wise to just start out in the sex sure. robot brothel <laughs> but yeah Alex I'd be interested in your thoughts on that because you do a lot of work around sexual compulsivity yeah I mean I, I think such a like pivotal piece of work particularly in the beginning people get into this space of like there's a particular time and amount that I masturbate or that I watch porn and that's the healthy amount Mm -hmm. And that is just, like, there's no, like, objective metric to that. And you actually have to start digging, like, okay, but what is it actually about when you're going to go and engage in that? Is it about, like, just being aroused? Is it about, like, using it as distress tolerance? Is it a, you're in, like, this obsessive cycle? That's such a different pattern, and that's going to inform so much more about, like, why, we get into the like such this like we need to have a, a specific box and prescription for like this is what good sexual health is and it's just it's not that way. One of yeah, one of the things that I think probably all of us are talking to people about, I would imagine, is this idea of like not necessarily I mean, sometimes the behavior in and of itself, like if it's like non-consensual with someone else sure. is a problem. Or a if lot it's of, really hurting right, yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. But more often than not, really the dialogue is about what is the function of the behavior, yeah. not what is the behavior. But so I, like, you know, when I think of something like sex robot brothels, like I'm like, oh, it probably depends on the function of it. Right? <laughs> totally. <laughs> like that's sort of, I guess, what I tend to think about it. And I also do see some ways in which it could, like I think about, the reasons that it was first developed in China. And like, that is a clever solution to a very much. real problem mm -hmm. that is happening. Mm -hmm. I think so. And I think, you know, just like anything, if we had a sex robot brothel around here, we'd probably start seeing some people that are like, I might be going to the sex robot brothel in ways that are problematic for me, right? Mm -hmm. Like I've spent too much money or it's spent uh, too sure. much time, right? You know, and then you talk about that and you figure that out, right? But you also would probably have some people that would be like, 
hey, that was really important for me because of these various ways. Or sometimes it was really fitting in with what I want. And then sometimes maybe it was coming out for me in a way that, that I don't feel like was helpful for me. Um, you know, I mean, just like anything. Yeah. You're going to have a spectrum of use and perception of how that fits into people's lives. Yeah. I mean, it just feels like an expansion of like fantasy, really. Like the, do you know what I mean? Like a lot of times, like it's just more of like, to me, like, I don't know, 4D pornography in sure. certain, yes. <laughs> like yes. in certain ways. Like, I don't know. I've, I feel like I've, some folks, like I think about couples I've worked with that have had to come up with some pretty creative solutions to like how they manage like desire discrepancy, right? Like one That's person exactly wanting, right. Yeah. right? Like one person mm-hmm. wanting more sex than another. And like, while it's easy to like maybe in theory go, okay, well, you just want more. You just want less. And someone, I'm sure you all have done a lot of that work. <laughs> yeah. doesn't, that doesn't really work very well. Right. And so sometimes people have to come up with some really creative solutions and like, the person maybe with higher desire, like specific needs that aren't getting met, like often they don't want to do something that feels like maybe dishonest or they have certain rules around like what fidelity looks like in their relationship. This is an, like sometimes when people are, yeah, it's an interesting option. And I could totally see some couples being like, absolutely not. (laughs) And I could see some people, right? Like I, I have like some clients who are maybe in that, scenario I have had clients over the years that are in that kind of scenario where it's like well masturbation is not doing the trick but we don't want to like invite other partners in to the relationship this is like a weird interest not not weird but I don't want to put a value judgment on it but like an interesting middle ground yes it is inviting another live person in and just on the continuum I guess of fantasy versus like behavior with other humans (laughs) <laughs> it absolutely is. And I think that the the parts of it that might cause the most reaction for some people are the parts of it that are maybe going to be most helpful for others. Like I'm thinking about one of the things I've heard people say is like, if you are actively grieving, you might want to sleep with a body pillow. Like sometimes you just want the feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're grieving a partner, you just mm-hmm. want the feel of someone next to you. I know people get worried and concerned about sex dolls partially because it's like, Oh, they look really realistic. Like, and sometimes I think there's this feeling of like, is this over the top? Like investing energy and time and resources into sex is often joked about Mm -hmm. in our culture, like made to be made fun of, but like, imagine what if somebody was grieving and decided like, Hey, this might be a really good outlet for me. Like I don't, I really want to feel like I'm touching someone or being touched or like the feel of another body, but I'm not really ready for a relationship. I mean, there's lots of reasons why people might be interested in this kind of experience. Mm-hmm. Well, and we, as a culture, invest so much in sexuality. <laughs> yes, yes. But if you're an individual and you have some kind of you know, a room devoted to sex or a sex toy collection, or maybe you spend money on like going places for a sex conference. A lot of people would make a joke about that. That is true. Yeah. I've, I'm going to a sex therapy conference this week. I'm going to start. Oh, are you? This week. And I have already had like six people be like, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) and obviously that's like for professional reasons, but even that, you know, is sort of like, Oh, like, I bet that's a crazy time or whatever. I guess sort of to your, to your point. I, I, you know, I just, I think about like, 
this idea like constantly around just like there's so much nuance in in terms of like what could be healthy like for somebody and like I just like this is one of those scenarios where like I could play it out on any given day or in any given moment and go oh that might be really problematic or oh how helpful I could even see myself at some point if there's a certain skill I want someone to work on being like "Mm, got a little extra coin you know right right Right, like also side note great way to protect against STIs totally yes I yeah also I'm assuming if the uh, cleanly sterilization methods are being upheld to right the standard. and let's hope that cleaning crew is getting paid a good wage <laughs> for the valuable and important be. work they're doing yes. a very fair yes. wage i would be I, the other thing that i thought about this is like too though is just maybe what the sex work community would think about this mm. because to a certain degree yep. like there are a lot of folks in the sex work community that um you know rely on income from other folks that are using right yes like resources within the sex work community and this is now going to like every other industry (laughs) yeah well i thought of that when you mentioned you know maybe robots uh might end up being kind of like sexual surrogates and i thought okay the sexual surrogate community which is a little different um gosh i just stumbled into this and i'm like am i going to be able to give a good explanation (laughs) so sexual surrogacy is not legal everywhere right it's legal some places i think and um nevada california maybe yeah so people train to be sexual surrogates and there's very like specific rules about um what you're what you're doing why you're doing it you only have a certain amount of sessions with people you're working towards goals it's not about developing a relationship. Am I saying anything here that either one of you would jump in and disagree No, with I mean, or? I think that it's really mm-hmm. misunderstood. It's not, it is not the same in terms of, like, sex work for the, like, the sake of just, like, pleasure or things like mm-hmm. that. Like, there's a really good movie called The Sessions with Helen Hunt mm-hmm. that was, like, uh, and I can't remember the other actor in it, the main character. I can't remember his name. But, like, it's, have you, either of you seen this? No, no. somebody told it, me about it. A couple of weeks ago, I'd never heard about it. Yeah, I'm like, like a bad sex therapist admitting I haven't seen <laughs> this. Yeah, Helen, Helen, Helen Hunt plays a sexual surrogate that is working with somebody who's it has, uh, I believe, like he has some kind of medical condition that's put him in an iron lung. Wow. And he's wow. never, I think it's based on a true story, mm-hmm. actually, and has never had certain sexual experiences. And like, and it's just kind of the story of, you know, how like how this sexual surrogacy like helps him in certain ways like heal and improves his quality of life and you know what's interesting and like I appreciated the movie is like her taking notes after each session like uh like a physical therapist would I almost think of it like physical therapy yeah much more involved yeah (laughs) um you know like a mix between maybe like something that's like more like uh, someone thing that like um someone that's much more hands-on. I don't want to say things because I don't want someone in some community to be right. like, that's not what we do. Right, right. But, like, it's it's definitely, like, a profession that people train for. Yes. Oh, and there's a professional organization, too. So if you're interested in this, we can find it by the end of the time that we're talking here. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there's a... But, so when you think about um, sexual surrogates are already trying to figure out um, you know, where can I do my work sure. as far as like legality concerns? There's a lot that sexual surrogates have to kind of push against and a lot of myths they have to bust about what they do. And I did have this thought of, okay, if sex robots are now like 
really developing those like human interactive qualities, like what's going to happen? I wonder if that would really, you know, not be great for the sexual surrogate community. Yeah. Or, or outside of that, the sex work community, like I think yeah. like if, you know, there are people that regularly spend a fair amount of money on certain, you know, I don't know, only fans or, uh, camming like a, a certain cam person that they like but if you if you've got 10 grand to spare that you could spend on that you could also possibly spend it on a, a, you know uh, an AI that's sure. specifically designed to you and is like in your right. own home right anyway right there's just part of me that wonders too and this gets into the deeper like AI versus human experience just in general, like how much can you actually copy like interpersonal interactions mm -hmm. and, and get that level of fine-tunedness and responsivity. So I imagine there's always going to be a market for like having like a, an interpersonal experience with, with someone, a human, that would be different than having it with mm -hmm. a sex robot that is... It's yeah. very responsive, yeah. but doesn't have the same, like, interpersonal interaction in the same way. I don't know exactly what I'm saying with that. No, no but it, it's a good point. That's right. an excellent point. Like, I, it is, I think, to the same degree, too, right? Like, it probably also depends on the person and the level of social need they have to have those exactly. kind of interactions. Yeah. There might be people who are like, that is actually not what I am seeking from this experience. And there are people who that might be a huge drive for them, actually. I think that's really accurate. Just to just to back up, um, the International Professional Surrogates Association at surrogatetherapy.org would be the source to go to for all the more well-spoken ways to try to say the things that I just did on the fly there. <laughs> I think you did a great job. Oh, and also, it, I always feel like whenever it's a .org, I'm like, see, it's legit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a .org. That's right. Um, all right. I think right now would be a good time to take a break. And when we come back, I think. Maybe we have another topic. We'll find one. We'll find <laughs> one. We'll figure it out. We'll be right back. And we are back. Hey. Alex, I think, actually came, like, look how studious, came prepared. Amazing. A topic. Amazing guest. <laughs> I don't know if I came prepared or if I was just perusing the interwebs and looking at sexual health stuff. <laughs> Which that's is all we prepare. That's, that's it. I, I don't think we're, like, creating a good reputation as sex therapists. Generally, it's like, all we do is look at sex stuff. <laughs> <laughs> think about sex stuff. <laughs> we do other things, too. I, I swear. It's true. So I was reading through Twitter, and I don't. I'll just I'll just read through this post, and I think this is interesting because it does get into some some things that, like beliefs about like abstaining from orgasming and like what that gives people and like all this. There's all sorts of beliefs about that, and I think they're they're more outside of like. American, like, Western cultures in particularly about it. But there's definitely some stuff here, like, with the NoFab community and all that. With the is what community? NoFab. Do you want to say to explain? Oh! Now you got it. On, on the spot, explain people angry. All right. Um, it's a movement uh, that's really about, like, um, sexual abstinence from, like, a very, like, 
extreme position of not engaging in any like self-pleasuring at all either. And there's a lot of controversy about it. Um, what does it stand for? Like, what are the... So fapping is like <laughs> onomatopoeia, right? For masturbating. It's like the uh, sound it. that supposedly makes on a penis. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Look at me. See, this is why I love doing this. I love... Every episode, one of us learns One of us goes, if I didn't know. That's right. <laughs> you do not work with enough, like... 20, 30-year-old cis men. Yeah, I work with quite a few. I was going to say, that just, was my experience. I work with quite a few. Just and none, none have ever talked to you about that? That's fascinating to me. I get it so many vague, of them. It is but not with any level, clearly, that I'm like yeah. registering it on a... They're probably accessing some of that stuff. Good to know. Like I can labeling. ask more questions. Yeah. But this... this, this um, tweet is about so I'll just read it the spinal cord connects the root chakra to the crown chakra energy parentheses semen which travels up to your up your spine to your brain the spinal cord has 33 vertebrae Jesus died at 33 he rose in three days your semen takes three days to rise up your spines 33 vertebrae into your brain and your third eye that's a lot. That's Who <laughs> posted that? It was a random Twitter post, but then um, I still can't pinpoint. I'm pretty sure uh, Eric Sprankle, who's a, a sex therapist, retweeted tweeted about it. I cannot for the life of me find the that post. But then I found the original post that it was about. Yeah, Dr. Eric Sprankle does a lot of work around... Um, he's he's been doing a lot of work around masturbation i think he's writing a book mm-hmm. so that's that would make sense if he kind of jumped on that and said guess what i'm guessing he said this is not at all anatomically correct no. <laughs> this the, the semen does not go up the spine it doesn't i didn't i, know. <laughs> I, always, I always thought that spinal cord fluid was just semen <laughs> you've never heard of blue spine no I that's haven't. when you don't ejaculate it all goes right up the spine it's really painful okay just disclaimer we shouldn't... that's not real that, yeah, that's I just not made someone's that. gonna take that sound clip I know I know ruins my <laughs> career yeah, they'll be like oh Laura Rademacher the blue spine person yeah, yeah. great <laughs> so what help me help me understand so is this like a like a then like informing some kind of sexual practice? Right. I think my take on it is informing like sexual abstinence at least to three days. So your semen reaches your crown chakra. So like what for a, is the goal to have like better orgasms or to be more spiritually sound in some kind of way? Like what is the goal I of mean, the abstinence? I don't think there's a completely unified stream of thought on this, right? Like people kind of, but, but there's a general sense of like, if you don't ejaculate, you're somehow saving your energy. And I've actually oh, heard this I know, from like that stuff. I've had people talk about that. I haven't yeah, heard talk sure. about it in that. I think this is a different flavor of the same thing. Okay. Like to sort of like. I mean, I, you know what's really interesting? Like, I've seen, a, like, we've, you don't have a history in theater, do you? Um, I do. Everyone's so far 
Every time uh-uh. we were all we were Doesn't joking. Matter. We were joking how we're just gonna ask everyone that comes on because yeah. every sex therapist we know has a background in like theater or performance. Tech. There you go. Nice. Mm. There it is. Excellent. Everyone's got it. <laughs> we need to do some kind of study and see what the correlation between theater. Were you a major? I think it, I think that. Oh one's no! Causation. I only did it in like high school. I didn't. I played the cello in Dracula at my college. Ooh. Ooh. Dracula sounds fun. That was fun. Sounds the cello also sounds fun. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like a very elegant Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> and like creating a good mood. I really yes. want to see that show now. Um, <laughs> I yeah, like I've heard folks like talk about oh in the arts. Sorry, that's the reason I asked. That was my tangent. In the arts, like I've worked with, I worked with a lot of creative folks, and just like also in yes. media around the idea of like sexual energy being like storing it or like not being sexual before a performance or before like in order to like write or like create sort of like creative energy like i've heard a lot about it in like creative communities not like everybody Mm -hmm. obviously but like some people feeling like that's like a part of their process i feel like that's represented in film a lot as well sure i i think i've seen that kind of idea represented in media in various different ways i think it, it gets interesting for me when people mix kind of like the the spiritual energetic side of like, okay, there's there's chakras and it's also about like your creative energy. But now let's talk some like heavy anatomy. Like let's yes. really go to the semen coating your brain, I guess, which we're looking for. I mean, right? That's what it said. Like it travels up the spine to the brain. Like it was very literal. something that yeah. we want, I guess. I don't know. I mean, let's say again, that's not possible. Um, that's not a thing that happens. But yeah, to, I mean, to me, it's like whatever happens in your body that feels energetic, if you feel like you give a better performance mm-hmm. it, with something and without masturbating, like, okay, cool. Yeah, that's fine. That's your process, you know. But like when you start to, when it starts to kind of go into like a, on a physical level, retained semen is going to do something for me. That's, I think, where you lose me. Well, then, if you all help me out, <laughs> as, I think, as I think about, like, the actual, like, physiology of it, those all die, right? Pretty quickly. So it's not like you're, like, retaining anything. You just don't produce, like, you have the same ones and then you don't produce more until... You let yeah. some go, right? <laughs> well, I, actually, as you all were talking, I was like, well, what happens if you have a vasectomy? You just screwed? Like, I mean, you know what I, like, from, like, an yeah. energetic perspective? Because it's not about right. orgasm. It's about semen. semen. Yeah. I am, I'm also, like, super fascinated. This might be one of the things I do in my free time now of like looking if there is actually some research that people have done, some studies that people have done about that whole process with like performance mm-hmm. um, and creativity. Because that actually is something now that you say it that I've I've talked to a fair amount of folks about. Right. Like feeling like they have to like there's I mean, I feel like in different and that's just maybe a different angle of it. But yeah. I've, I've had lots of folks talk about like you know, like associations they have and, and maybe who knows, like, 
correlation is not causation, right? Mm -hmm. But like almost like ritualistic. Yes. Like it's a bit like ritualistic. Sure. Like in order for me, just in the same way that somebody might be like, uh, in order for me to have a good show, I need to like, let's say baseball player actually, right? Like mm -hmm. that, like I got to wear the same socks, right? Someone being like, yes. I can't have sex for three days before I perform. Otherwise I'm, I'm off in some kind of way. It feels like a similar kind of energy that you see around, I guess superstition and maybe if that's the right word to use in some kind of way or ritualistic. Yeah. yeah. And like, I don't care if that like grounds somebody, I think fine, great. That serves a purpose, but and it helps somebody manage anxiety. I think where I could, I have seen it have more, some folks have more struggles with those kind of things is like, A, if there's a partner involved and the partner's like, what, what are we doing? <laughs> right. Like right. what's happening? Right. Or if somebody becomes overly like rigid in that ritual and like if they can't keep it up or they're struggling to keep up the ritual or I don't know what to call it. Yeah. Like, or like fearful of yeah. like, oh no, if I, if I masturbate at the wrong time, the quote unquote wrong time, it's going to really screw something up or fearful that like, fluid moving through your body in a way that it's meant to move is going to like cause some kind of damage or something mm -hmm. like that. Like ejaculation is going to somehow cause damage, which is like, no, that's just something your body does. It's okay. And actually needs to do it pretty frequently. Yeah. Yeah. I, there is some, isn't there some research and I know that maybe it's like limited around like prostate health yeah. and like regular ejaculation i'm not making that up am no I? you're not yeah. there is and i think that they've they've been trying to like this is my really like informal i looked at this many years ago and i haven't looked again but i think they were kind of like trying to figure that out more but there was some evidence that like i think i think it was something like you know ejaculation around three times a week people were less likely to have prostate cancer yeah i saw and that they didn't it was exactly. like in need. It was like in need of more research. Right. It's another like cor uh, correlation doesn't mean causation. Oh. We're still figuring out why exactly this is. Uh, also, just because we do have a tendency in pop culture and social media to take one study and be like, it's defining yeah. everything <laughs> in research. Replication is important. Right. <laughs> right. But we don't. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but like, have you two ever seen anything that said like, ejaculation is harmful at a certain amount no i think the only thing that i've ever really around like not as much about ejaculation right but if somebody is like masturbating so much right that they're causing physical harm but right that doesn't yes. have to do with the ejaculation as no. it has as much to do with like friction friction yeah no. <laughs> Friction over, you know, like some people might edge, right, when they masturbate. And just for the listener, right, like edging is like continuing to stimulate yourself, but then getting right up to the point of orgasm and stopping and then continuing. Also, side note, if you train, this is just more for, for listener, and this is my nerdy sex therapist self. Right? <laughs> like if you if you train yourself to take a really long time to orgasm, that may also impact your partnered sex because you can't train your body to take a really long time to orgasm and then suddenly with a partner sometimes be able to orgasm within a reasonable amount of time. Like, that's just a side note. But I think you just named a big reason why people um, have such uh, maybe fear or trepidation around masturbation is because masturbation, however you're doing it, as long as you're not like hurting yourself, hurting somebody else is fine, mm -hmm. right? But when you get with a partner, it is a different thing. Mm -hmm. And if you have certain patterns or certain ways that you're used to doing things, 
you're going to have to work to develop more flexibility. It's not the end of the world. No. It's not something to be scared of. No. It's just about building skills. But I think some of the no fab stuff or some of the like idea of like, oh, there's got to be either the certain right way to masturbate or I just shouldn't masturbate at all, I think comes from just this fear of like, I'm going to do it wrong. I don't know. That's just that's just neither here nor there. That's my opinion. But I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I definitely think that plays a piece. There's also like this this value of like partnered sex and that partnered sex that's in a monogamous relationship is the only like healthy sexual interaction to have is a big piece of it, too. And then if I'm doing all these other things, that's going to mess it up. Mm-hmm. kind of to connect it back to that fear and then I'm not doing things right and there gets like all this pressure that gets put on it and that can be really like overwhelming for partners yeah. that yeah. I've worked with it puts a lot of pressure on their sexual interactions and on, on the partner and we can't be the end all be all for like sexual fantasy for one person that is an impossible task. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. I wish we could focus less on doing it right mm-hmm. and focus more on like, hey, maybe we should talk about what you might like. Yeah. yeah. What might be fun to try. Well, and when I think of like something like this, that's a little bit more of like, you need to, what was it? You need to wait three days yeah. or like, and yes. then like the number three, like it's meaning in the number three. Yes. Right? Like, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty like kind of live and let live per, like person, right? If like somebody's like, this really helps ground me in my sure. sexual world. Sure. Knock yourself out. Right. I think if you're, however, a personality that takes things a little bit too rigidly, right? Like you get a little overly sort of like nervous or anxious that like oh I messed that up like I could see that contributing to shame oh no I masturbated Mm -hmm. two days Mm -hmm. and now my now like my energy's all messed up or my chakra or whatever and now there's something wrong with me why can't I keep that up well part of it might be because it is too rigid for you as the individual and so it's kind of like know thyself right and if if like somebody's an into me right like as we all have like certain personality characteristics and I think that's part of like being conscientious of like, I kind of am the type of, which is fine, but I'm kind of like, if someone's like, I'm the person, type of person that takes things a little too literally and a little too seriously. Okay, cool. You can adapt to that, but I wouldn't suggest you then like start to, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, 100%. Because that then creates more distress. And if it's also like, I always think about negotiating things and not everybody has a partner, right? But, or is trying to, but if, if you do have a partner and you're trying to negotiate stuff with partners and you're like, well, it was three days ago and we can't, well, no, it's two and a half days and no, well, it's our vacation and I want to, well, nope. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. going to start to yeah. create conflict. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes. And you might miss some experiences that could be really great of something happens that is spontaneous and you're like, well, nope, it's not the right day, but it's something that you would have really wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you have no room for spontaneity. All right, everybody here hates spontaneity. Never mind. (laughs) Apparently, only I think that's important. No, we were all just thinking. It was such a good point Mm, that we were all stunned. Stunned into silence. Stroking my chest. No, I. You know, I think all the time about like just this idea of um, 
I don't know why. I, I, I get itchy when I hear any kind of sex practice that, that gets a little too aggrandizing on the idea of like, and this is the right way to do 100%. it. hundred percent. Beautiful. Yeah. That's what makes me itchy. And I'm like, how do you know? I don't know. Like, you know, like, who who really knows what the right way is? I think there's a lot of different ways. And it makes me concerned when people are sort of maybe encouraged to engage in this sort of like right model of sexuality. I mean, I think there's like certain agreed upon sort of like, uh, like, hey, things that cause harm to other people without, you know, like things that people aren't consenting to. Okay, but then there's like, so much space, so much gray area. Yes, around what could work or what could be effective. And I, I watch because of the culture that we've created around sex, and and not everyone uh, struggles with this, but like a lot of folks, I mean, we're all having conversations about it all uh-huh. the time. Uh-huh. Like, are so nervous about getting it wrong because we've created these illusions of like there's some right way mm-hmm. that then people are seeking for some kind of, like, seeking some kind of guide. And so it's easy to attach to, like, a Twitter, right? And then people, like, people might read a post like that and go, oh, let me learn more about this. Oh, look, a structure. I like structure. Uh Mm -hmm. Now I'm attached to a structure. But that structure actually might be kind of unrealistic or, frankly, unhelpful for them. Well, and that one was false. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I I mean, you can... we can't say any, I, you know, like I read about chakras myself. I'll sure. go there, right? Like, that's great. But like the semen does not go up the spine unless something has gone terribly wrong <laughs> yes. in your body. Yeah. Like that's not a thing that can happen to go for semen to go up the spine of the brain. But a lot of people don't know that because our state of sex education is so bad. It's- Yes. I feel like every episode we end up, every conversation devolves into the state of sex education. See, we're at episode four now, so we're realizing all our patterns. I probably every episode say something about the state of sex education. Because it's um, trash. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, snaps, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we could do better. There are some great sex educators out there doing yes. amazing work and they are just not allowed and invited into all the spaces they need to exactly. be. Exactly. It's not that we don't have people who can provide those services. We have so many barriers put up to like actually getting it. And so then when someone sees something like that on the internet, a lot of times they don't know whether or not is that really a thing that can happen? Huh. There's a lot of intricacies to the body. None of us know. You you even heard us go, okay, no, but wait, semen that doesn't go anywhere. You know, like there's like a lot of intricacies to the body that frankly you don't have to know all of them to have a great sex life. No. Yeah. Um, but you maybe do need to have enough context to have some like warning flags go up and be like, I don't think that's the way that goes, let me look up some stuff to figure out if this is actually correct, mm-hmm. right? And then you need to know what sources are more legit than others. And that's a lot. That's a lot to figure out. That totally is. Yeah. I was just, as you were talking about it, I was thinking about the state of sex education in our country. <laughs> and I was actually wondering, and I don't know, like, I feel like I have part of what's like, continues to cue me in are just like some of the questions that people like or misassumptions people make about sex that like continue to still like shock me where I'm like 
oh, and then like, and then I remember like, oh yeah, there was a point in time I didn't know that. You know what I mean? It's it's like, yeah. and that access to education. I'm curious from the two of you if like, what are, if any, like some of the things that have like shocked you? You mean like questions that we've gotten? Yeah, you know, like the, the moments in time where you were like, you know, because I think all of us are probably used to like, not just with clients, just like in life getting like a lot yes. of sex questions mm-hmm. when, because people know what you do and they're like, hey, quick. I feel like it happens everywhere. <laughs> yes. Um, like where you like, it literally like caused you, because you we get so many common ones, right, that we're just used to getting, but then the ones that sort of like actually like pause you for a minute, like a little bit record scratch. Yeah. <laughs> right. Sense. Yes. Yes. Well, I think one common thing I've heard over and over again is like um, questions about vulvas and vaginas because sure. people who have them don't always get taught a whole lot, don't always feel comfortable looking at themselves, don't always know. So a lot of questions, a lot of people think that urine comes out of the vaginal canal, which is not where it comes out of. There's actually another hole above that, the urethra. Um, So lots and lots of questions about um, vulvas and vagina anatomy. But here's a, I had someone ask a question once in a way that was funny and then afterwards, I realized, oh, the fact that they asked that in a funny way disguised the fact that it was a really good question. So I was talking about something. I think I was talking, oh, I was talking about um, dental dams. So barriers that you can put between a vulva um, and someone's mouth if you're going to get oral sex, right? Mm-hmm. And somebody asked, if you don't use a dental dam and uh, the person who's going down on you has some kind of problem. Can you get gingivitis of the pussy? And you know what? I mean, it was very funny. And at first I was like, oh, ha ha. And then I was like, wait a second. Wait a second. Mm-hmm. And my brain started going to like, the the vulva has a whole bacterial biome of its mm-hmm. own. And like, could someone's mouth's bacteria interact with the b- bacteria of a vulva? And what could, and I went off on this whole different tactic. But basically the idea is just uh, use a barrier if you're not sure, because yeah. then there's no transmission of anything to anybody. I don't think specifically gingivitis is something you sure. can no, get. I think like sure. bac- like BV, like bacterial vaginosis right. from oral could be something. Right, you know, but if, have yeah. they studied that? I don't know. I'm not saying that's a direct correlation, but like... But that's where my brain yeah. went right. to is like, what have they studied and what have they not? What do we know Whenever and what do we not? you're introducing new bacteria to a biome, it could impact. There you go. I'm going to be thinking about my biome all night now. <laughs> I'm sorry, that makes me feel special. That's... That reminds me, oh gosh, this was what, like this year or two ago when Cardi B was talking about the bacon, (laughs) egg, and cheese and not washing your mouth out before having oral sex and like it turning into this whole thing about this is what's making people like have messed up biomes and all that. Oh no, I didn't know about any of that. Yeah, it was a thing for a hot moment. Okay, well, so this is a popular topic and that's, a nice thing to think about, too, is that sometimes there's there's no dumb questions. Mm-mm. You know, like whatever you're wondering or whatever when you ask it, other people are wondering or asking about the same thing, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah like the ones that always shock me are like ones that like when I say like record scratch, like I always pause and it's never that I'm like, that's a dumb question. I'm like, yeah, I guess people wouldn't know that unless they've had more, <laughs> you right. know, like more access. Right. I'm curious, Alex, do you have any? Oh, 
You know, nothing like super shocking. I think the ones that come up for me a fair amount are just like interesting, like knowledge about STIs. I, I like having like I think one of the big things that I've had to have conversations with people about is so proper. Uh, it's uh, antiviral medication that you can take to avoid getting HIV and a lot of men who have sex with men and other folks too take it. But there's like misconceptions of like, oh, I just need to take that afterwards or like it's, or I need to like take a few beforehand and not that it's like you need to consistently be taking it. So you have that in like your actual like mucous membranes and your anal tissue or wherever. And it doesn't work in a like, day after sort of pill way i've had like a lot of conversations with people about that which is concerning because that's like a possible significant risk that they're putting themselves at without like having like a full connected awareness of that Mm -hmm. and then what else i've had like a lot of conversations with people about like going back to semen again apparently (laughs) (laughs) that uh, this idea of like well if i don't ejaculate and we're having sex we won't get an sti like gonorrhea or chlamydia Mm. like it doesn't work Mm. that way like it's about your mucous membranes touching each other it's not about if there are fluids there could does that like increase the risk probably but if your mucous membranes are touching up on each other there's the risk there i i feel like the ones that always like maybe not anymore but like sort of would is a is a real misunderstanding of how the anal cavity and rectum work (laughs) like um like a lot of sort of like if someone does any kind of anal play like just diarrhea will be all over. Oh, like, so, no. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like sort of like um, concerns, like and not really understanding. Like you know, a lot of times when people are thinking about anal play, they're often like worried about feces or you know the hygiene yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, like that's a part of it. Sure, like, yeah. you know, and there's a, there are ways to like engage in that. And lots of great books, by the way, on the topic. But like, like. A lot of misconceptions about just like how the body works. I don't know. The, the two of you feel like, like especially around anal penetration. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think a lot of times um, people hear a story and then it grows into a fear. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere along the way, it turns into a, I learned this about sex somewhere. Yes. And then they get to a point in life where they think that they have heard knowledge and really it's kind of grown out of not good sources, right? You know, I mean, I think we all have things. Um, <laughs> sorry, here's here's the dumb story that's coming to my mind. Oh, my family every year took a trip uh, to this little town in Wisconsin. And every year they were like, oh, family trip. We have to get up at 5 a.m. to go to this little town in Wisconsin where there's a McDonald's where a train goes around. That, and we were like, yay and we'd get in the car and do it and years later like I was in my 20s I was an adult Uh and I mentioned oh our family trip to such and such town 
And both my parents started laughing hysterically and they were like, you thought that was a family trip. It turns out like for my dad's job, we had to like help him drive machinery out to there. <laughs> and that's why we were getting up at like five in the morning. Uh... And the whole activity was McDonald's, which if I had thought about it at all, I would have been like, that wasn't a family trip. Like we drove four hours round trip to go to a McDonald's. What? But that's the way that people's sexual knowledge ends up sometimes too. <laughs> sure. Where like you hear a thing at some point, or like maybe even an adult in your life tells you something, some kind of euphemism, because they are embarrassed or they don't have the knowledge. And over time it just snowballs. And all of a sudden you're an adult and you don't realize that this thing that you've thought sexually for years and years actually doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you think about it, because it's just been around in your head and you haven't had other information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can like all sorts of, I mean, just I grew up with a lot of very specific messages about sex. And I can think of like very specific ones where I like at a certain point as an adult was like, what the hell? Right. Like, you know what I mean? Where I was just like, come on. <laughs> like, right. Like really right. annoyed at like. Right. That wasn't true at all. Like, you know, like orgasms making you blind or like, you right. know, like just stuff to like a lot of the stuff that I grew up around was like scared, trying to scare yes. people away. Yes. But like, you know, like if you in absence of other information, you're just going to collect that information and yep. believe it to be true. Absolutely. And so I just remember like at some point in like as I was aging, just having all these moments of like, and even like well into my like twenties and thirties. And as I even got educated, uh, you know, to do sex therapy of being like, man, there's another <laughs> one, like, you know, because it's just amazing how many of those like messages just infiltrate like what you believe. Yep. And it's yes. really fascinating. And I feel bad because like I've had those personal experiences and like, you know, like clients will come in and often like feel very sometimes scared to get it wrong. I feel people are often really scared generally to get it wrong. And so then people just don't ask or they don't say it because they don't want to look like they don't get it. But the reality is most of us are probably carrying around some, mis myself included, oh, right? absolutely. Like some level of mm -hmm. miseducation about yes. like either the way the body actually works or like, especially yes. the mechanics and like the physiology and biology. Yes. yes. I mean, I can say pretty confidently the sperm doesn't travel up the spinal. Cord. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know. That's right. Well, that's part of the sad part about all the people who are finding um, messages like NoFap is that, you know, it's going to tie in with some of the things they've been told. Yep. It's going to tie in with some of the scary messaging they might have gotten from various places and then you read something like Alex that you just read and maybe it does seem more realistic to you because it ties into a lot of messages you've already gotten. <laughs> and now maybe you're listening to this podcast and you're like, how did I even get here? <laughs> <laughs> and if you are, welcome. That's wonderful. Yes, welcome. Um, well, I think that we're probably out of time. I mean, we're not. We could keep talking for four months. <laughs> no. We'll do that off air. So we want to say thank you so much, Alex, for well, joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. This yeah. has been lovely. Yeah, it was a great conversation. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. And I appreciate that. I will be on the lookout to correct beliefs about semen in the spine. <laughs> or semen... What, the brain? Uh, touching the brain? Yeah, you know, traveling up there. Semen should not be Slide. traveling <laughs> to your brain. <laughs> I wonder what fluids I'm supposed to shoot up my spine. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, what do I 
bathe my brain in. I mean, you know? do we want to get into the whole thing? <laughs> I bet there are some theories. We're going to have Alex come back we're for gonna, another we're gonna episode about... We're going to revisit this one. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Alex, for joining us. We appreciate it. Laura, thank you. It's always good to be here. Um, and uh, please uh, also feel free to join us at the University of Pleasure podcast. And we will talk to you soon. Bye, everyone. Bye.